This episode of Inspired Souls is brought to you by Canadian Masters Athletics. CMA is a vibrant and welcoming community of Canadians aged 35 and over who share a passion for track and field, cross country, road running, and race walking. That's right, you can participate in athletics until you're in your 70s, 80s, and 90s. In fact, you're never too old to join CMA, only too young. How about that for a refreshing twist? But women in their mid-30s and beyond often face unique challenges such as peri- and postmenopause that can prevent them from being or staying active. This educational series from CMA will address many of these challenges head-on, remove barriers for women who may be struggling, and remind us that we're not alone. So without further delay, please enjoy our conversation with Jill Morash. And I just remember being in the store and completely overwhelmed and I could not get all my layers of clothes off any quicker. Like everybody, they're they're just looking at me like, what's wrong with this woman? And I just realized, oh my gosh, I've just had a hot flash. It wasn't just that it was warm in the store. I'm looking around, everybody else is still in their coats and they're fine. That was Jill Morash. And this is episode 164 of the Inspired Souls podcast. Hi, I'm Carolyn, and I'm a roadrunner. And I'm Kim, and I'm a trail runner. Welcome to our podcast, where we bring the communities of trail and road running together and explore the parallels between running and life. Jill Morash is a 56-year-old who is absolutely thriving as a postmenopausal woman. She's a personal trainer and group fitness instructor at Variety Village in Scarborough, and she owns her own fitness business, Your Wellness Warrior. A lifelong athlete who takes excellent care of herself, Jill figured she would sail right through perimenopause, but she still experienced some of the classic symptoms in her mid to late 40s, such as hot flashes, night sweats, sleep disturbances, moodiness, joint pain, urge incontinence, and itchy skin. Instead of being a victim of her circumstances, Jill took it upon herself to learn what was going on and share about what she discovered with others. Jill is currently enrolled in Dr. Stacey Sims' Menopause 2.0 course and plans to create a menopause course for her own clients. Jill is a firm believer in opening up healthy dialogues about this stage of life so that women don't have to suffer in silence the way they have in generations past. So let's get right into it with Jill Morash. Okay, well, Jill, welcome to the show. Um, It's so nice to have you here. Why don't you go ahead and tell us just a little bit about yourself? Well, thank you so much for inviting me. I'm really excited to be here and to be able to share some of my experience. Um, I'm Jill. I am 56 years old. I am in postmenopausal stage. So it's been about three years, I think, since my official birthday of no more periods. I'm a personal trainer, a group fitness instructor. I work with a lot of clients who have also been going through perimenopause, menopause. So um, I have quite a bit of experience in dealing with this and trying to figure it all out for myself. What's easier, dealing with it yourself or helping other people deal with it? (laughs) Because you do have quite a bit of experience on both sides. That is a tough one. I think... Uh, originally my clients were the ones who introduced me to it a little bit more. So they, when I first started, I wasn't in really in perimenopause, or maybe it was working with my clients that helped me recognize a few of the symptoms. So I can thank my clients for that and introducing me, you know, that stubborn belly fat and dealing with mood swings and hot flashes and all that. And I thought, "Uh Oh, what's going on? I want to learn more about this. And then I started to do a deep dive and realize there is not a lot of information out there. So um, to answer your question, probably going through it myself was more difficult because you're Mm -hmm. dealing with it yourself. Um, 
but being but you able were to forewarned. My, <laughs> yes, I was forewarned a little bit, but uh, still pretty blindsided by a lot of things. Well, and we we're kind of in denial. At least I I am and was, you know, starting to now go. Oh, this actually might happen to me. <laughs> but I'll be honest, you know, I'm starting to develop some of those symptoms myself, and it's like, okay, everybody told me this would happen. I knew this would happen, but I'm shocked that it's happening to me. Like yeah. <laughs> nobody thinks it's going to happen to them. I am a special them. snowflake. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm just going to be immune because I just exercise and I run, and it will never happen to me. So yeah. Exactly. That's totally it though, right? As an athlete, as a female athlete, you're a runner. You guys are both yeah. runners. Yeah. I've I've been into fitness as soccer player. I did running back in high school, all that sort of thing. Personal trainer. I work out. I eat really well. I'm not going to struggle with all these issues. It's totally what I thought. Yeah. And then, yeah, you start to realize there are so many other little subtle things, but then some yes. of the bigger ones as well. And just like okay, we're not immune. We're all in this together. And there are so many different things that we have to be aware of. And we need to talk about this more. That's why I'm so excited that you are doing this podcast. More and more people need to be open about what we're all going through. Well said, well said. So how would you describe yourself as an athlete right now? I would say any woman who exercises really is an athlete. And that's one of those things that I think a lot of women forget and they're just like, oh, well, I walk or I do a little bit of yoga, but we're athletes and we need to think about that, adopt that mindset. Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think about myself as an, as an athlete. I teach seven classes a week, so I definitely am using my body um, for my work, <laughs> but yeah. for myself. And I treat myself as an athlete with when I come to my nutrition and so much of what I've learned along the way about the importance of sleep and recovery and stress reduction. Um, yeah. So I'm hearing from you that you, you know, you value fitness, you value strength training, you teach it for goodness sakes. Have you always been that way? Have you had a lifelong relationship with athletics or is this something you discovered later in life? Uh, well, actually when I was very little, my mom put me in gymnastics, which I think was my foundation. So I was probably mm-hmm. three, maybe three or four. And I started in gymnastics. So I always loved move, moving my body. And then I continued mm-hmm gymnastics for quite a long time. I joined every sport I could in um, elementary school and high school, played them all. I mean, I loved being able to get out of school too, to go play sports, which was great. (laughs) But it was a a great sense of community and camaraderie with other females, which was amazing. Um, In university, I played varsity soccer. I really wanted to do the rowing team too, but I didn't want to get up that early as well as play (laughs) soccer at night. So um, I did all those things. Um, Yeah became a trail runner myself just for my own my own sanity when my kids were born and going outside mm-hmm. keeping mm-hmm. fit when I didn't have time to go to the gym then yes. uh, joined karate became uh, did karate for quite a few years when I lived in Peterborough got up to my brown belt and then when I moved to mm-hmm. Toronto um, took up kickboxing and found that and became certified in that and loved it and became a personal trainer at uh, and started working at Variety Village here in Scarborough and mm-hmm. absolutely love that. But then with working with all of my clients, realizing they needed far more help than just physical fitness. They needed some help with their nutrition. So then I became um, an exercise nutrition coach. And then I've just continued on in my journey and became a brain health certified trainer and older adult movement specialist and I'm currently taking Dr. Stacy Sims menopause 2.0 course because I want to mm-hmm. keep and be able to help myself and help my clients. Okay. 
Huh. Wow, you're very qualified to be here. <laughs> yes. And a lot of, I'm hearing so much variety, like physical literacy in every way, as well as psychological, like the mental side, the nutrition side, you know, mm-hmm. the, there's, you don't even spend one class in a martial art without realizing there's, there's a huge mental side as well, For right? Sure. And For discipline sure. and focus. So mm-hmm. yeah, I'm really excited to dig into this more with you, Jill. And I think um, with that background as a lifelong athlete, you start to develop perhaps like a bit of a belief system, like if I work hard, I get a result, right? Mm -hmm. And so you started to speak to, you had these clients who were older than you starting to express to you some of the perimenopausal symptoms they were going through. And you sound like a very curious individual, what you don't know, you learn and and continuing to uh, learn in your professional life. And then, you know, I work hard, I'm fit, I take care of myself, like none of this is going to happen to me. It happens to other people, but not me. So tell us a little bit about when you started to realize, oh, no, 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 I'm not immune. How old were you when you started to experience symptoms? And what were those symptoms, if you recall? I think my my most um, blatant symptom, because I think I had other subtle ones that I didn't really recognize at the time, but my most blatant one was a Christmas and I was shopping. I don't know. I think I was at Sephora. No no advertising here, but you know, I had my winter coat on and I had my first big hot flash. And I just remember being in the store and completely overwhelmed and I could not get all my layers of clothes off any quicker. Like I was just like stripping in, in the store, getting my my scarf, throwing stuff down on the floor and, you know, everybody, they're they're just looking at me like, what's wrong with this woman? And I just realized, oh my gosh, I've just had a hot flash. It wasn't just that it was warm in the store. I'm looking around, everybody else is still in their coats and they're fine. (laughs) And then I started to realize, uh, I was having night sweats too. So that became my bigger one. I didn't, I didn't have as many hot flashes as some women do have. So mm-hmm. I was very lucky in that respect. It wasn't nearly the frequency of sometimes four or five over like a 12 hour period. That seems to be more of an average. Okay. So I didn't have nearly that many, but I was having night sweats pretty frequently where you wake up in the night and your pajamas are just soaked. It's just, you have to get up in the night and change. It's no good. But then I no- started noticing other ones where um, having to get up in the night to go pee, um, mm-hmm having, feeling more anxious, um, feeling more fatigue, starting the joint pain and such, I think started more recently in the last, actually after menopause, I think maybe a little bit more in the menopause transition, the perimenopause four to five years before that actual menopause day that you never know until retrospective 12 months after that day is like, Oh, that was menopause. Yeah. Uh, but some of the other symptoms I had, you know, brain fog, um, difficulty with getting good deep sleep. I was wearing a, a watch to track those things. And it's like, why am I not getting good deep sleep? Why am I waking up not feeling rested? I'm getting to bed in good time. Um, all yeah. those things really made a difference. Big sensitivity to drinking any, like I loved red wine and I thought, oh, resveratrol, it's good for you. <laughs> yeah. Red wine. No, but just really accentuated night sweats, hot flashes, and really affected okay. deep sleep. So all those kind of things affected me. Um, oh, earth incontinence, that was a big surprise. Huge. Um, Can you define that for people or um, at least talk about the way so, that you experienced yeah, it? There's different forms of incontinence. There's stress incontinence. That's more like if you cough or sneeze or you're jumping or you're skipping, 
Mm-hmm. Um, I, I know after I had my first baby and we went to gymnastics and I'm bouncing on the trampoline, I'm like, oh, whoa, I did yeah. What the heck? I never experienced that before. So that's kind of the thing that when you're in perimenopause, menopause, you might feel. The urge incontinence is sometimes what you feel if like you have to go to the bathroom, you're driving home and you're just barely getting the key to the door and you know you have to go pee and it's just like, oh, that little bit of leakage or you almost do. Mm. It's just like that first little urge feels you shouldn't really have to go. Your bladder shouldn't be that full, but that's part of those things. It can happen when the 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 tissues of vagina everywhere is thinning. So that last lack of elasticity um, can affect all the vaginal tissues, that it can affect um, lubrication, cause you know dryness for sex, decrease libido, all that part of those things. So those are a lot of surprises that you don't, yeah. like nobody talks about, right? How many right. people talk about, oh yeah, I sneezed and I peed myself. You know, right. So I'm really opening up yeah. those conversations in my classes. So I teach kickboxing. We often skip ahead of time and it's like, okay, we better make sure we've all peed because right. none of us want to pee our pants. Right. So just right. Okay. laugh about it, talk about it, make it an open conversation because so many people are embarrassed. I know mm-hmm. I didn't want to talk about it. Yeah. The other thing is those chin hairs and upper lip hairs. <laughs> What the hell? Actually, nobody's talked about that yet on the (laughs) – It's like random. It's like I've made my daughter promise me when I'm old, like, you're going to pluck my chin from me when I can't see her. (laughs) Right? Right? You will? (laughs) The same thing. One of my clients, we're the exact same age and we're going through a lot of similar things over that. I've been training her for probably six, seven years by now. Uh, Yeah. she, She made it 11 and a half months and she thought, okay, I'm in menopause. Then she got a period again. So sometimes oh, it starts just, over again. It starts over again. Yeah. And like some periods are super heavy for some women. Some are just super light and off and on and you think you're done and then it spurts back again or it lasts a long time. Nobody yeah, talks yeah. about those. I had no idea. I had no, exactly. All I thought was, I know from my mom who didn't talk about it, but I remember kind of looking back on it moodiness and Mm. um, hot flashes, but never talking about it. None of my friends' moms ever talked about it. Migraines are, can be an issue for a lot of women. I didn't get any migraines, thank goodness, but there's so many of those other, even that deep sensation of crawling underneath your skin. Actually, Mm. I did have that um, sometimes on my shoulders, oddly. Yeah. What, huh. an, what an odd one. I had no idea until I started reading about that one. And that is a common one. So I'm not actually sure the mechanism for that one. We'll ask one of our experts. But yes, yes. I think we should. Yeah. Like women mentioned drier skin or itchy skin. I wonder if it just has to do with changes in hydration of the skin and the, you know, be. the lymph um, mm-hmm. and fascial hydration underneath your skin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very it fascinating. With the nervous system. I mean, all of those mm-hmm. things are affected. Yeah. By it's incredible yeah. what estrogen and progesterone do for our bodies. And then when they're starting to do that weird little up and down cycle and then almost computer completely putter out and go flat line, how yeah. everything changes. Yeah. It, totally. it changes for sure. Yeah. So how have you noticed it may have affected your physical athletic performance. So, uh, you know, whether you're doing martial arts or you're teaching a class, did you notice your ability to quote, perform change? Oh, for sure. Um, so fatigue 
was a big thing. So not getting enough sleep definitely made a difference to Mm -hmm. my energy levels and how I felt about doing my classes or even that motivation about trying to do anything extra on my own. That definitely made it harder. Um, Joint pain definitely made a difference. Uh, Taking longer to recover definitely took some time. Um, Mm -hmm. Not so much... Pre, in perimenopause, but postmenopause, um, definitely more nagging injuries. I had an Achilles tendonitis that just wouldn't go away. I've been dealing with a scapular injury, just a lot of other little things that just go, oh, okay, that's new. I used to like bounce yeah. back everything. So, and, and like, yeah. and like you said, sometimes not maybe connecting dots in the moment, but only in retrospect when you look back, oh yeah, I got this shoulder thing. I've also got this little hip thing. And like, you know, um, yeah, I, we hear, heard that from others too. Of like, yeah, is this perimenopause? Like you don't really know until you're maybe even past it. You don't want to make the mistake of just going, assuming it's perimenopause or a menopause symptom, right? If it's something that is concerning you, check with your doctor. For sure. Because sometimes thyroid issues can mm. um, be similar to other things that are going on in perimenopause. So you always want to double check, rule out anything else. Yeah. Right. And so approximately what age did you start noticing some of these things that you mentioned? Well, I think the first big hot flash that was like, oh, okay, I'm really in this now was probably around age 46. But in hindsight, I think some of the other things were happening probably 43, 44, 45. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I think actual menopause was about 53 for me. Okay. Yeah. You said like three or four years ago. I think I've been about three years. But again, it's hard to remember if you weren't, I wasn't exactly writing down all of my periods. And that's where it really is recommended. You know, there's period tracking that you can do, but I mean, menopausal perimenopausal symptoms, you can get different apps and trackers for those. And it is good mm-hmm. to record those things. So you know, when you've had any weird spotting or anything that's going on, then you can actually trace back and go, oh, my last period was on this day at this exactly. month. Because I didn't do yeah. that. And I don't remember exactly. I want to just go back for a moment. I have two follow-up questions on how you noticed your body, you know, adapting to exercise. You mentioned one thing, which was injury and noticing injuries that seemed more frequent. As a lifelong athlete, we get really used to injuries and we accept them and they're normal. And so what are your thoughts on, you know, as you enter the perimenopausal period, do the injuries potentially seem less logical? Like they're not necessarily associated with, you know, an effort or a race or a, a workout. They might come with a little bit, you know, less of an explanation. Did you notice that at all? Uh, I think more so related to perhaps not good quality sleep. That certainly mm. made a difference. So okay, I think with the recovery. Just, we, we need good deep sleep for, mm. um, for our brain health. So glymphatic system, all of that to get that proper cleansing in the brain, as well as muscle recovery, muscle rebuilding at night. So I think that's part of the reason why I felt more fatigue and I felt like it took longer for my muscles to recover. So that makes sense. from and my research, that that's what I got. Yeah. Too. Well, not, yeah. not at first, but not I had to first. Do, do, yeah, do some deep dive to figure that Retrospectively, out. Retrospectively, you do. Retrospect, that. yeah. And then the other thing I was curious about is, you know, Carolyn, you mentioned the very beginning how we, we like athletics when we're young because we get out what we put in, right? We work hard. We see a result. 
how did you find that process as you started going through menopause? Did you find the work you were putting in was giving you the same result or were you finding it was getting a little bit harder? I'm, I'm not trying to ask a leading question. I'm just curious. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Um, so I found that for myself and my clients and then through doing research, especially from Dr. Stacy Sims and all of her research that, you know, what we were all trained back in the 80s and the 90s and even early 2000s, like, you know, we're starting to age, we're starting to put on some weight. So we just need to eat less calories and we need to do more cardio. Work harder. Right. That yeah. long, steady yeah. state, moderate intensity cardio. Well, and then lift light weights as we get older so we don't hurt ourselves and just do more reps. Well, that's actually completely backwards. Mm-hmm. So everything that her studies are showing, because um, she's she's amazing and doing lots of really good evidence-based good studies on women athletes and how our muscles um, are built better and how our cardiovascular system are, is built better is showing that we need to do heavier, lifting heavier weights, good resistance training. Um, so ideally, you know, 80, 90% are one rep max, four to five reps of five sets, you know, let, but going hard, we need to lift heavy enough to um, create that adaptive response in our muscles to build the lean muscle mass and to build our bone density. And actually all of that is showing to, um, have some body recomposition for uh, how we store our fat. So it also decreases belly fat. Whereas the inverse is that if we are doing lots of long runs on the treadmill, you know, super long, moderate pace that so many people are doing in so many gyms, um, we're actually increasing our cortisol response, which will increase our belly fat. So we're actually not doing ourselves any favors by that. So the other thing that she really recommends and most of the other studies that I'm looking at are showing that we also work on high intensity interval training, not the whole 60 minute boot camp one or fit in 45 or all the other little trending things, but right. literally 20 seconds all out as hard as you possibly can, full two minute recovery. Do that four or five times, then go home. You can do that out on a run. You can do that on a treadmill, an elliptical, whatever you're doing, but that kind of stuff is going to have a, a bigger stress response um, on your body than. Mm-hmm this long steady state because we're with, with the lack of estrogen and lack of progesterone, we're already in um, this cortisol uptick. Our whole bodies are, we're kind of in this fight or flight system all the time because our bodies are going through so many changes, especially in the whole perimenopause, menopause transition that we don't need to add that more stress to our bodies. Yeah. That, that impulse to, um, just do whatever used to work for you before, only harder and more, more yeah. is yeah. like you're saying the total opposite of what most of us yeah. actually need to do. So where did you fall in there? Like, were you already lifting heavy? Were you already sprinting or doing high intensity interval training? Or was this something you had to, because this is like terrifying. I'll just tell you as an endurance athlete. <laughs> Yeah, I'm glad you said it, Carolyn, because I'm sitting here going, what? I can't run long and still have a lean belly anymore? Actually, I'm noticing it's not as easy, right? So, yeah. Yeah, all of it. I mean, she recommends, like, if you let, she's like, she says, if you really have only three days a week to exercise, focus on that resistance training. 
if you can. And add in a little bit of the plyometrics, the jump training that will help with your bone mineral density, that sort of thing. But if you love cardio and you love to run, like so many people do, like you guys are runners, of course. So of course, still do that. See if you can add in some of that sprint training as well. And two days a week of the resistance training. And it doesn't have to be a long time. So it's a matter of intensity and not volume with that. Yeah. It doesn't take long, maybe 20 minutes, and you can do those right. on the same day. Right. Do your heavy lifting and then do your run. Okay. All right. Well, we uh, sort of touched on this a little bit earlier. We want to be surrounded by the right people. And you had um, clients that you were training and that you were probably a lifeline to them. Like, oh my goodness, this person who's listening to me and not thinking I'm totally crazy and and going and researching stuff and bringing it back for me. Has there been anyone like that for you? Like who kind of was on your support team to help you through all of this? Ah. Well, I I didn't find any that any doctors that I really had were very knowledgeable in all of this. So that's why I turned to deep dive research skills. I I've always been a researcher. Um, love to like look into older adult health, how to look at longevity, like Dr. Peter Adia, like all of his mm-hmm. stuff is amazing. And mm-hmm. I've once I found Amanda Thebe and then found Dr. Stacy Sims, they were my lifelines. So I consider, you know. Stacy to be one of my lifelines for sure on my support team. Yeah. So I tend to go with evidence-based studies as my support. But I mean, I also for sure have my clients. I have um, my family. I have my friends. So my friends who are also same age, we can talk. And that's what's hugely important with all of this, that a lot of people are struggling you know, depression is a big part of this. Anxiety, lack of self-confidence, feeling sort of flatlined where you feel like you're the only one. I'm going a little bit crazy here. Brain fog. I don't think I'm remembering things properly. Then you're worried about early onset dementia, all those things. And people oftentimes will just kind of keep it all to themselves, especially, you know, if they haven't grown up in a family or culture that talks about these things, Mm -hmm. it can really make a big difference. So, trying to open those conversations, having these podcasts where people, you know, we're getting to share these things um, and, mm-hmm. and trying to be that lifeline to your friends where it's like, hey, are you experiencing any of these things? Yeah, me too. Yeah. Have you heard this and this is going on? And these are some other things that could maybe help you. Yes. I think this is so important, like the normalizing of the conversation and something that you wrote to us in your notes really jumped out at me, which is that your 27 year old daughter is excited that this is being talked about uh, because it gives her, did you want to say a little bit more about that? I don't want to put words in. Sure. Yeah. I mean, we were even actually just chatting about that yesterday or the day before and that uh, she struggled, you know, with a little bit of uh, premenstrual syndrome and hormonal ups and downs and, Um, we've been able to talk about that and talk about food and stress and sleep and how exercise can make a big difference. And she's just been saying she's joined a gym and she's done all of these things and she feels such a difference physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, everything. Mm. And when I told her that I was going to be on this podcast, she's like, that's amazing that more and more women are starting to talk about this kind of thing Mm because it is so important. So she and I being able to be open and talk about these things, then she's going to be far more prepared and, um, you know, like the, the, the biggest body composition changes happen in the four to five years just before that birthday of your menopause. So 
if we know all of that ahead of time and all of this information is getting out there, we can do a lot of things to help mitigate or prevent some of these things from happening. So rather than waiting until we've lost a lot of lean muscle or we've already lost a lot of bone density or we're already realizing a lot of brain health issues that are going on that are putting up more at risk of dementia you know, like Alzheimer's, that sort of thing. We could mitigate those. We know this. We put this information out there. We start changing how we train. We start emphasizing sleep. We start emphasizing good, healthy foods Mm -hmm. and make more aware that, you know, there are some hormone replacement therapies that are beneficial. I'm not an expert on this, but from the reading and such that I've done that, you know, the Women's Health Institute study that was done quite a few years ago, there's a lot of misleading information that came out from that that scared what, the last t- two generations, three mm-hmm. generations of women mm-hmm. and doctors. Dr. From Peter Adia talks a lot about this. Yes, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. From potentially a lot of good help that would have made a difference because it, I mean, a lot of the HRT is really beneficial for hot flushes and night yeah. sweats, basically. Yeah. yeah. Vasomotor symptoms. Um, whereas older women, so postmenopause, past 10 years being on, men- you know, in menopause, generally don't have as many issues with hot flashes and and night sweats. So don't need to be on the HRT. And it was found that that is not as beneficial for uh, preventing cardiovascular issues. Um, And that's where perhaps some of the increased risk came from or Uh, or stroke and breast cancer and heart disease. Whereas it wasn't happening in the younger women who were getting the most benefit from helping with their hot flashes and night sweats. So it's one of those conversations that you should open up and talk with your physician about or find a physician who is knowledgeable in that. There's also bioidentical hormones, there's phytoestrogen foods, all those things are out there. You talk about opening up and having a conversation with your physician, but I'm hearing you having conversations with your daughter already. So let's flip that a little bit. Did your mother have these conversations with you? And what kind of you know, cultural slash family context were you brought up in that then oh. sent you into this phase? Well, I'll preface that with, I got my very first period on my 13th birthday. Prior to that, my mother had had no conversation with me about puberty. She handed me a book that day that I think was probably about 20 years out of date already that was (laughs) explaining about puberty. So that was about the gist of the talk that I had. I think my stepsister had shared some information with me. And then I'd had two friends who actually had started their menzies at age nine. So that was really unheard of. So I was at least aware. So I wasn't terrified. At least I knew what it was about. And I don't think even at school, we'd started talking about it. I don't think it was part of the curriculum then. So certainly that wasn't part of it. Um, So just even puberty was not talked about, let alone menopause, perimenopause, definitely not. It was not part of any sort of cultural conversations. Mm -hmm. It wasn't part of the media. um, Anything that I'd heard of, it was just that this is something that happens to old women and I'm not going to worry about it because that's not going to happen for a really long time. So I'm thinking 80 I didn't know. Nobody knew yeah. back then. Everybody yeah. called it the change of life, the right? Change. Like yeah. <laughs> the yeah. change. Oh, yeah. it's been wild. I mean, historically, I mean, I've just started Dr. Stacy's Menopause 2.0 course, but even she's talking about the history of how 
perimenopause symptoms have been treated in the past and just in the whole hysterical side of things. And she says that a lot of the women who were burned at the stake in Salem, right, that were probably just women in perimenopause who were dealing with a lot of issues. Isn't that terrifying? That's terrifying. It's just been, yeah, the whole medical side of things has not looked at this well at all. And it's only just starting to open up. It makes me have, I had a very similar cultural upbringing, like in terms of my mother and stuff, but it makes, hearing this makes me have a lot more compassion for her. Cause like, where was she turning to? Right. Like she didn't feel comfortable to say anything. There was no experts that she could turn to. There was no social media or books. Like how, what a, what an isolating, lonely experience that must've been for For so many women in the generations before all you would have had was your peers and if they were in a rural area or something maybe not that many peers and even then would they sit around and you know talk about these things probably not as much as we are today right no even as young girls we didn't really talk too much about how we were feeling you know premenstrual syndrome you know just like take my doll you're fine take my yeah oh yeah that was a solution to everything my doll and rest bed yeah Take, take medication but that yeah. was the gist of it. Nothing about how to mitigate. That exercise actually helps. Like I've had to right. teach younger clients exactly. that I've had that going for a walk, coming to the gym, don't cancel your session with me. You're actually going to feel so much better if you're moving. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, earlier you were mentioning like HRT, so hormone replacement therapy. Um, did you have to, I, I couldn't tell if that was just, you You know all about that and you're you're so, somewhat of an expert there, not an expert, but like no. you, you're aware of this as a treatment option. Um, it, was it a treatment option that you explored yourself or, um, well, or when, not? No. Well, when I was first just looking at it, there was still so much information out there about the cautions about, you know, risk for breast cancer, this, 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 this. So I'm like, Ooh, no, I'm not going to do that. And even some of the other so-called sort of experts that were out there on social media also were dissing HRT. Mm. Um, So a lot of misinformation is still floating around out there. So that's where it's only been more recently that I have learned all of that information, especially uh, Dr. Peter Adia has really been on all of this too. So he's kind of taken this on because he admits it early on in his medical career, he didn't really pay any attention to any of it. Yeah. Um, so he's been doing more interviews and um, getting to the bottom of it and trying to spread some more information, which is amazing. Um, so had I been aware of that back when I was going through all the hot flashes, night sweats, mm-hmm. and really affecting my sleep, because losing your sleep really is bad for your immune system and so many things. Um, I think I really would have considered it, but I wasn't aware of it at the time. Was there anything else that you did that you found helpful for you through that period? Actually, actually, yes. I did find out that um, adaptogens can make a big difference. So everybody needs to individualize. I'm not saying anybody should go out and take anything without checking with their doctor or, you know, naturopath or somebody. But I found ashwagandha has made a huge difference Mm -hmm. for me. Um, I take it at night. It helps with sleep. It helps with uh, muscle recovery, dealing with anxiety, all that kind of thing. Not that I feel anxious, but it helps with um, with better better sleep and just staying out of that fight or flight sort of autonomic. Zone. Mean, yeah, yeah. System Rhodiola is supposed to. Yeah. yeah, Rhodiola is another one to, that's supposed to help with that. Maca should help. Um, there's also a couple of the different mushrooms like uh, reishi and cordyceps. Apparently. Mm-hmm make a big difference. There's um, 
again, Dr. Stacey Sims lists a bunch of those. I think there's seven that have been thoroughly researched and yeah, okayed by FDA and that sort of thing. So if you really do your research, you can find out which ones. But again, it needs to be individualized to the person. Uh, some phytoestrogen-rich foods like psyllium husk, that sort of thing, nuts and seeds, getting the right healthy fats, really important for your body. Increasing your protein. I don't think I've talked about that. Oh my gosh, that's huge. So as we age, um, women and men, but women even more so, we lose the ability to process our protein or not as well. And we can't use what we have to build as much lean muscle tissue. So we need to increase what we're taking. So oftentimes it's about 0.6 grams per body weight pound that is recommended, Mm -hmm. the overall one. But I think the recommendation is at least 1.1 grams now to try and actually um, create enough lean muscle that we can function well. Right. And respond well to that higher resistance training. Right. Especially when we're athletes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So okay. yeah, like the, the biggest ones I think were lift heavy shit is what Dr. Stacy says, right? <laughs> that we need oh, to yeah. actually do that. Yeah. <laughs> Women are not small men. That's another big thing that she mm-hmm. talks about. Like all the research studies are generally done on, you know, healthy college age men because they're easy. And women have traditionally been kept out of studies because we're messy. We have periods, things change. So traditionally left out of all the studies. So more research is starting to be done on that, which is amazing. But that's where we, like a lot of the stuff that comes out isn't applicable to women and even more not applicable during perimenopause, postmenopause. Right. Right. Oh, it's so exciting actually to think that all of this is being done and, you know, yes. the generations be like our generations benefiting, but like the generations behind us will benefit even more too. So, um, just going back to your own, uh, kind of journey for a second, was there anything that surprised you or <laughs> challenged you beyond what we've already talked about, but, um, anything that you wish you would have known before kind of moving through this stage of life? Well, I think I really was not aware that women in perimenopause, postmenopause are at like a really increased risk for cardiovascular disease, for type 2 diabetes, for osteopenia, osteoporosis. That's where we have that decrease in bone density and an increased dementia risk. So if you look at the number of people who have dementia, Alzheimer's, there's a huge ratio of women over men. And mm-hmm. it's really there. I think the studies are really showing they're pointing it towards it's that hormonal difference. Um, mm-hmm. So that's we do. That was a big surprise for me. The lifting heavy was a new one for me because I often recommended the lighter weights, but more reps and all that stuff to clients yeah. and fell into that whole thing that, you know, oftentimes we can respond to that when we're younger, but not when we're older. We need that. And again, that I think that speaks to your lifelong learner status, right? Like mm-hmm. you, you know, you could have just kept doing what you always did. This this works. This is what we do. We we lift, you know, like five pounds for thirty five reps or whatever, right? It's like no, we we lift heavy shit. I just exactly. love yeah. that. It's such a it's such a <laughs> memorable. It is. Bite. It is. I love that. And my clients love that too. When I say, yeah, you got to lift heavy shit. We got to do that. We don't have to do as many, but we got to go hard. And yeah. Yes. But even that is a cultural shift, right? Like how often do we say, oh, granny, sit down. Don't worry. I'll get it for you. You know, and don't lift that. It might hurt your back. You know, we need to to keep ourselves in unbreakable mode, right? From, From, 
menopause through to the rest of life. And you you only maintain that if you maintain it, really, right? <laughs> I, I teach a, a core fit class every Friday morning at Variety. And a lot of it is foundational strength stuff where, mm-hmm. you know, because core and balance, all of those are tied. And I keep talking to everybody about, you know, okay, so some of us, there's maybe a few people in their 30s and 40s, but a lot of us are 50s, 60s, that sort of thing. It's like, who do you want to be in five years? Who do you want to be in 10 years? Who do you want to be in 20 years? What do you want to be able to do? Do you think you'll have grandchildren? Do you think you'll have great grandchildren? Are you going to be able to get down on the floor and get back up? Are you going to be able to pick them up out of the crib? Since we've been talking about Peter Atia, that's his whole thing, is it's it not? Totally. The centigenarian Olympics. We're going to yes. link to Dr. Peter, Peter Atia because his his podcast is excellent. It's called The Drive, I think. Yes. But he talks yes. about the yeah. centigenarian Olympics. Like, what do you want to be when you're exactly. 100, that's like, where I got 80? And, yeah. And, and re- let's reverse engineer. Like, what do you need to be doing now? Like, what does your cardiac output need to be right now? What does your strength need to be or your grip strength or your 1RM and this or whatever now to be able to pick your grandchild up or go play with them on the floor uh, when Mm -hmm. you're Exactly. Especially with the knowledge that every year we are sliding back in our bone density and our lean muscle and our strength. So we have to do that much more to not only maintain, but get stronger so that we can Mm -hmm. do all those things. Mm -hmm. Especially if we can't get up and down from the floor now. Like a lot of people can't. They're not. You're not going to magically be able to do it in 20 no. years. No, <laughs> exactly. Use exactly. it or lose it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah. women even more so, and especially like so many people are worried about dementia. So that brain health part of it is so important too. Yeah. So okay, well, this those is things that jump training. I don't think I talked about jump training, but that's another thing that she really recommends. I know some people who have knee issues, that sort of thing, don't feel like they could do squat jumps or skipping or box jumps, jumping down, those kind of things. Heel drops is something that you can do though. So one of the a more recent study has shown that if you go up on your tippy toes and you drop down hard on your heel, mm. um, you can do that. If you've had a knee replacement, Not still not such a great idea to do, but that's where you can go into the pool. So those aquafit classes where you're doing the jumps, amazing. Yeah. You can add in that high intensity interval training in the water. The other thing that she recommends is even trampoline. So you're getting that enough stress response on the bones and muscles to make a difference to activate the lean muscle tissue. Right. Wow, you're you're just a wealth of knowledge. Is there anything we forgot <laughs> to ask you, um, or anything you want to add uh, that that we haven't asked? Um. Well, the whole idea is just opening up conversation for women. But I mean, it's also not just women. You got to share it with your partners, share it with your male coaches, share it with your male friends so that they're aware and they're continuing those conversations and they're supportive of their wives, their girlfriends, their partners, whoever, their daughters, so that they're aware too. Yeah. Just being, you know, all women are athletes and we need to treat ourselves as such. And it's not just exercise, it's not just food. It's all the other parts that are involved too, like that social connection, your sleep, your anxiety, your stress um, control. So many things are a part of it as to be part of that healthy, healthy progression throughout our life. 
Huge thanks to Canadian Masters Athletics for sponsoring this episode. We hope you've enjoyed it. If you love running, jumping, throwing, or walking and want to be part of a supportive community of like-minded people, then head on over to canadianmasters.ca to learn more or check out our show notes for their social links. We'd love to continue the conversation over on the CMA Facebook group and Instagram. Instagram.